Lena Hopkins video this morning. I didn't know there was one. Yeah, no, the one she uh, she made one today to like officially bring the whole Cockygate episode to a close. I don't know if you saw. I didn't, but please tell me yeah. about it because I know <laughs> that you were logged on enough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I. It was like the way I started my day today was getting on there because people were kind of chatting about it, but I, and they were like, "Ugh, don't watch the video. I don't want to see the video. The video, you know, like." I you missed know, this entire it's not worth section. My time. I and I was like, no, no, I'm watching the video. I've never even seen. I've never actually seen any of her other videos. Apparently, she's been making videos for a long time about other things. Oh yeah, she, she like the one with the first cocky incident was like an hour long. Can I just say like I didn't know? First of all, I didn't know that YouTube was a place that people like went and did posts. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like it seems like people are using YouTube to like have arguments and like issue counter arguments over short little videos and stuff. And it's like. What? Like, I didn't know that anyone was doing that. But Authors anyway. John Green and his brother <laughs> Hank, who is now uh, going to be a debut author, uh-huh. they did this, I guess you could maybe call it performance art? Yeah. I don't really know. They did this project many years ago yeah. um, where they decided that for an entire year, the only way that they would communicate together is by leaving each other oh uh, YouTube videos. Puke. Sorry. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe so t- it's cool. I didn't see it. I don't know. It, I mean, like, like, I don't know what's cool. I'm not into it. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> Tell me about the Felina video. Yeah, no, it was just like a minute and a half where she was just like, I'm dropping my trademarks of was the word dejected? cocky. Yeah, no, she was like in her apartment or something. And like, there was like kind of a, you know, there was like a building behind her. It was nighttime with the lights on and stuff. And it was like a really strange video. Like at one point she started quoting Martin Scorsese. At, huh. another, at another point, she did like that mafia thing where she was like, "My series is was family to me, and in my where I come from, you just protect your family. That's what you do." And she like, did both of those <laughs> things in a minute and a half. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a wow. it, it was an action packed sequence. Okay, <laughs> a lot going on. But anyway, I guess that I guess that cocky gate is over now. So we'll have to find. Some I mean, new there's new horse. weird trademarks going up all the time. Yeah, like, no, there no, was, it's like started a whole thing. Where there's like the one where it's like the figure with an axe. <laughs> That was yeah. dropped immediately. And yeah. It's like it is expensive to to, to file egregious court to just, documents. Like, make a hobby out of like being litigious. Yeah, um, it's very expensive. <laughs> anyway, um, that's exciting. That is exciting. It was a it was a fitting end to what was really a great use of all of our time. Um, but with that, we should say welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Today is July 25th. Um, We are recording on a Wednesday instead of a Monday. We had a little, you know, delay this week. But um, we've got, I think, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fun episode, but I think, like, you know, so much has happened this week. Let's put it this way. Books, uh, (laughs) the book world happened. Let's just put it that way. You know what sucks about it is we're not even going to be able to spend much time roasting library guy. (laughs) Like... We've got like this other big thing we're going to talk about, and we can't even talk about the guy who wrote the worst take maybe anyone has ever that seen. That libraries about, are yeah, bad. Forbes scrubbed it. Um, but anyway, shout out to that guy for really filling our day with glee when that happened. But um, before we get into what we're actually going to talk about today, um, how about the basic rundown, huh? 
Yeah, so we are towards the end of the month, but due to my family reunion in sweaty, sweaty North Carolina (laughs) that happened, um, we are a teensy bit behind on special episodes. Never fear, they will be here before the end of the month. It happens every month. People know this by now. We get the episodes out. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they're on time, and sometimes you just get... The query and the first page show right at the mm-hmm. tail end of the month, which is exactly what is going to be happening this <laughs> month. So get get hyped um, for yeah. those of you who are eight dollars or more Patreon subscribers. Um, you can tide yourself over with either old episodes of the query or uh, first pages show or you can listen to um, probably our most recent and most exciting endeavor, mm-hmm. which was playing um, a round of publishing Call of Cthulhu, our publishing RPG that was run by my good friend Troy. Um, we battled all sorts of things, including mm-hmm. chain smoking monkeys. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I thought that was really fun, by the way. We haven't been on air since we did that. Um, that was like. I don't know. Remember how I've been trying to get you to game for yeah. like three years because I thought that you would really enjoy it? Well, it wasn't. So, yeah, no, and I did end up enjoying it. But I remember sitting there kind of when we started and being still in like creating content mode. Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of really nervous about, um, you know, are we going to make it sound OK? Is the episode going to be all right even as we're playing this game? And eventually it just sort of like clicked where like the best way to like make the episode was just like play the game. And let Troy be in yeah. charge. Yeah. So it was like I kind of. Eased up, and I, th- I think it was fun, and we should definitely do that again. I've been, like, yeah. thinking about other, like, plots and stuff. We <laughs> well, do, you don't but... get to think about those. Yeah, I know. Um, that's the that's, problem. But, but you, dear listener, do. So if you have a request, if you would like to see Jane and Kevin in space, <laughs> if you would like to see them, you know, basically in a Fahrenheit 451 world where they're saving the books, mm-hmm. if you would like to see them, you know, in a medieval setting, like, uh, you know, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, like we can do whatever you want. Like that's the benefit of having a GM who's been playing for 40 years. Well, we've already gotten emails from people who want yeah. to see us do certain things. With yeah, them, so, that's so fun. send us emails. I will forward them to my good friend Troy, um, and he will cook something up for us. And so we will do this campaign because yeah, we, we can even more. turn it into a campaign. Like we will do it as much as you like because it sure is fun. Um, and so just let us know how much you like it, and we will uh, record accordingly. I mean, I guess I would just say the real reason we need to play some more is I spent a lot of my like statistical points available to me on being a good climber <laughs> and i feel like i didn't get to like well, you scale were, a wall you ever. were rolling like shit yeah I we was we, like we shit. uh we too. climbed one thing and you missed the roll and i got it yeah that was bad i'm gonna go have to go buy some different dice so but. here's here's what you can do also you can also sleep with the dice under your pillow that what should no? yes you can sleep with the dice under your pillow and that should do um, that should scrub it a little bit, or you can do what we call rolling it out, uh-huh. where if you're in the middle of the game and all of a sudden like your D20 or something starts rolling really poorly, uh-huh. you just roll it a bunch of times until you get a whole bunch of ones, and then you start getting like 18s, 19s, 20s, and yeah. you just like keep rolling it until like you statistically, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's the same percentage each time, but like yeah. it feels like statistically you've this you've gotten like rid of a, the bad stuff. This sounds like a gambling addiction. It's very um, much so. It's very uh, superstitious. Okay, it's so very the, much like gambling. What's the weirdest thing you've ever done with dice or that you've seen other people like you've been playing? Because you play this more than I do, which is at all. Oh, um, like what's the strangest dice habit you've seen? You mean like for how people roll? Anything. 
how they roll, how they get their like in the off hours, how they get their dice back and going. I mean, you usually, sleep with I your mean, dice? the people no, but I keep them in my car so I can game on the go. <laughs> um. <laughs> like in the middle of like a traffic jam on I ninety four or something. Well, you know, I never yeah. know when like the call will yeah. go out, like the bat right. signal, and right. I'll like go over to South Minneapolis to roll some dice. And so yeah. having, you know, several sets in my car, I do know which ones roll the best for which games just because I've played so much. Um, oh, I have a funny dice thing, though. So um, somebody who games as part of the larger group that I game with, which ends up being, you know, 20 to 30 people mm-hmm. um, when we're all in the same location geographically and when we're all there, like about one weekend a year, we get together for a fundraiser mm-hmm. and there's a ton of people. There's like four or five games going on. Anyway, there's this one guy. Who doesn't listen to this podcast, I hope. <laughs> um, there's this one guy uh, who is a fun gamer, great guy, terrible at following directions. Specifically the listening part of following directions. Hmm. Um, so you have to, like, he's always, like, a few steps behind. You know, you have to, like, repeat things a bunch. Mm-hmm. Um so you know that going in, right? Well, about a year, 18 months ago, um, the group got him a special D20 oh. that had two ones instead of a one and a 20. <laughs> and he's been playing with this dice for like a year and a half. He has and no he idea. has no idea. Wow. He has no idea. No idea. It's hilarious every time they game and he like goes to roll his d20 everybody like leans in to like see and he just like hasn't noticed that's incredible i know wow. it's great you guys are mean too though. it wasn't me it happened before oh, my yeah. time oh, huh. it happened before my time but i think it's really <clears throat> funny and in no way am funny. i ever gonna tell him <laughs> well i mean uh, you just did but he doesn't listen i hope i'm gonna find him but um anyway why don't we get into it huh yeah so like we said before <laughs> Uh, the book world happened this week. Yeah. Books happened Man. this week in a lot of ways. Uh, there were there were many um, events in terms of scandals, in terms of problems. Um, we're going to talk specifically about two of them. Yeah, thankfully for us, all of the like random like office fires that happened this week in publishing they had like a similar theme so we were able to kind of join them up and yeah make an episode except out of for it. the the steam valve exploding in <laughs> manhattan that caused like saint martin's press and the rest yeah, of mcmillan to shut down for a couple of days we're not yeah. going to be talking about that um or library guy but specifically i want to talk about worldcon and mm-hmm. i want to talk about danielle smith um and her agency lupine grove so let me give you a quick rundown Okay. Because mm-hmm. um, to be clear, for those who haven't been following, those are two separate things. Like those this, are two separate things. Those are two separate incidents. We're about so Worldcon is the World Science Fiction Convention. It happens in a different city each year, um, several years in advance. You know, different uh, cities will bid for the right to put on this con, and then they put on this con, and the next year it's somewhere else. Right. Um, this year, the uh, well. Backing up even a little bit more, there are a series of awards that are associated with Worldcon, um, specifically the Hugos, which is like the it's the, the Hugos and them. the Nebulas are yeah. like essentially both the Oscars yeah. of the Oscars of science fiction okay. and fantasy. And then there's the World Fantasy Award, too. But it's mostly the Hugos and the Nebulas. Um, and so this is like a prestigious thing, right? Like this is a big conference in terms of uh in terms of 
like reputation and clout. It's not necessarily the biggest in terms of attendance just because it moves around every year. Um, but it's a big deal. OK, lots of editors go. Lots of writers go. It's a grand old time. George R. R. Martin hangs out there. Mm-hmm. It's a great. Um, so Worldcon has uh, this year. There's this really, really wonderful thing that's happened where a huge number of diverse authors are up for awards. I'm talking authors of color. I'm talking um, people who do not uh, identify as male or female necessarily. I am talking about religious diversity. Um, I'm talking about all of the things that you can think. And that's really exciting. There's a lot of really good books on there. Um, But one thing is that uh, this week, one author who is um, up for an award um, this year tweeted something about how they had been misgendered with a gender that they have never used in their bio in the Worldcon program. Mm -hmm. Then it came out that um, Worldcon had not placed a bunch of award nominees, particularly award nominees of color, on on any panels or programming, specifically uh, because they said most people wouldn't know about them, which is kind of demonstrably false because uh the hugos are not well they're not it's it's like a it's like a public nomination thing it's not like a juried prize or anything yeah um so it's just like absolutely false um and there's also been you know all sorts of other little indignities in terms of how they've been treating people and how they've been communicating with some people and not others and they haven't been you know communicating about uh accessibility um and it's just it's it's ballooned in a lot of ways. And so this week, Worldcon basically put the brakes on everything, have asked new people into the room to help redo their programming. Um, and hopefully it'll be rectified. But that's that's issue number one. Well, on the programming real quick, wasn't there also like an issue with the like the panel discussions? Weren't people like getting shuffled or, or like wrong descriptions oh, yeah. of things? Like- Where like somebody would would. Well, there's not a lot of diverse programming, but there's also a like a few instances of people submitting panels and then having the panel ideas lifted word for word and then not the the person who proposed it and none of the other people who they recommended were on said panels so all Um, in all it sounds like just a hot mess just like a mess but like a shoddily put together kind of careless thing that feels almost like willfully disrespectful towards lots of different kinds yeah. of people and yeah racist homophobic all of the, all of the <laughs> and all of the things and just like in in a way that of course ends up hurting who right the authors right and because that's who as we've kind of discussed every time we discuss anything on this show that's who ends up you know getting the the boot to the teeth anytime something yeah. kind of goes wrong or bad happens and that's kind of what we have here too huh so tell the people about danielle danielle smith so, I mean, there's not much to it yet. I mean, it just seems like so. Danielle Smith um, is a was, was. I mean, like, is it a was situation now? Um, she um, was up until I guess this afternoon a literary agent at Lupin Grove. Is that the name of it? Lupine Grove. Yeah, yeah that was her agency previously. She had been at Fuse and somewhere yeah. else. But it came to light today um, through a post that um, this woman has kind of shut down the shop because. We've learned that she was like forging offer letters from publishers to her authors and then instructing her authors to decline them to the point that now like major presses like Simon and Schuster have like issued cease and desists mm-hmm. to her. 
Um, and, you know, it sort of fits within this lar- larger pattern that's sort of come to light of like kind of, um, you know, demeaning behavior toward her clients and toward authors and stuff. But like, you know, that's all behavior. The really flagrant thing that had everybody up in arms today was this idea that this woman was like writing and fabricating like offer letters that were not existent and had not come from a publisher and presenting them to her clients and then or saying that she was on or yeah saying that she was on submission with a book and lying about it yeah just like so this large pattern of deceit and lying in a way that is more than just like personal bad behavior it kind of stretched into like roping like fabricating documents and like roping in other publishers and in the end really jeopardizing a lot of authors careers right and like and now this thing is shut down and she's sort of i mean it happened fast she had one other agent with her who is had to be told by other by by authors that this had happened yeah like completely just disappeared off the face of the earth well and so it's um you know she's scrubbed herself off the website you know she seems to kind of just be gone you know and like There's sort of this now what we're seeing, you know, in the wake of kind of what has sort of all come to light at once is sort of this like fraudulent behavior, it would seem. Um, just like a lot of wreckage, you know, there's like a lot of authors that are kind of nowhere now. There's um, mistrust you know, there, in general. There's mistrust sowed in general, but there's also like, like you just mentioned, there's this other agent who has been. Um, you know, who was her colleague who didn't know about this. And now she's um, kind of, you know, in the lurch, right? Because her shop just got closed up. And so this person's career has now been affected. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe the place we should start with both of these things, and we're going to get into both in a little bit more detail here. But as we hold both sort of this world con situation in our heads, and now today, this idea of someone lying in such a patterned and brazen way and in a way that it was so harmful to so many people such that as it was discovered they've sort of skipped town in you know in every sort of digital way (laughs) um why laura in your head do you think that we're holding on to these thoughts at the same time you know like what to you kind of links these things as i mean obviously apart from them being well, these two things are bad, you know what I mean? <laughs> or these two things yeah. hurt the writers. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and But maybe that second one is kind of the starting point, is because we've had two, you know, events, um, two things happen here that both feel, I mean, I guess one was, care, you know, the World Cup thing maybe is a little less, um, like, carefully schemed out than it would seem this, um, you know, this other agency thing was. But I guess what links these two things in your mind, you know? Um. I think the 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 thing that I keep coming back to other than, you know, what happens when somebody acts poorly, the writers get hurt. Um, What I keep coming back to is what reputation and prestige means in this industry um, and how quickly that can you know, you can whisk the curtain aside and then realize that it's just like a cardboard cutout of, of like an actual institution. Right. Um, one thing that I'm and and one thing that I'm always flabbergasted by, and it's happened a few times that I've been paying attention um, since this podcast started, is when somebody acts poorly, mm-hmm. whether that's a conference, whether that is you know, a, a agent or a writer, like when somebody acts poorly, 
how quickly they can just disappear and yeah. it'll be like as if they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, which which kind of stands in opposition to the idea of like the the important and strong publishing institution. Yeah, and I mean, I think like um, what what we're kind of working around here to me is this idea that publishing in a lot of ways is built on these sort of unofficial like power hierarchies, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of them have to do with perceived prestige. Like, you know, for instance, you've got, you know, we, and we've discussed this before, but you've got authors who sort of sit, you know, it, it, or debut authors, you know, unsigned authors, you know, who kind of sit as... Um, really, according to a lot of the power structures, as sort of peripheral figures in the way a lot of this kind of accountability stuff works and, and everything. And then you have agents who, who sort of hold, um, you know, a little bit more clout, you know, and it seems as though maybe they're um, often kind of presented as, you know, essential cogs in the, you know, this industry machine. And, and then you've got, you know, people in-house who hold even more power because they've got real institutional backing and also the money, you know. <laughs> And then, like, apart from these, you know, you've got this constellation of, like, um, you know, organizations and awards and, like, you know, all this other stuff. And that conferences kinda, and, right. and editor and teachers. All this other yeah. stuff that just pops up and starts to occupy a certain space in people's heads, right? As, like, you know, Worldcon, as you said, like, it is, it's important to people. It occupies, a, you know, it gives an award and stuff, but it's an award and it's a place that has been given meaning. Yeah. If you from, win a Hugo, you're putting that on the front of your book. Right. You care about that. Like, yeah. it's something that the industry has decided to care about. And if you are an, you know, if you're a literary agent, then, you know, you're someone who, at least in industry circles, you know, at least in practice, you know, writers tend to show a certain amount of default respect because they see you at least... Maybe not necessarily specifically as um, their chance, but, you know, you're part of a network or you're part of a gate that they are trying to break through. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they see, you know, there's like a certain amount of deference that kind of occurs earned or not. And I think what we're trying to get at here is that a lot of times, you know, these. I don't know, levels of, you know, these like sort of artificial reputation building things that kind of happen in the industry they sort of don't mean anything if they're not backed by personal integrity and care. Yeah. You know, and I guess when I think about um, like how all of this holds up and it's something I've kind of thought about a lot since moving from being someone who was an editor in house, right. To kind of being out now. Um, and really, as you, you know, before the show, you and I were kind of trying to figure out how to characterize it. And it's like, it really is the wild west, you know, yeah. <laughs> Like it's the wild just, west of publishing. Yeah, no, it's just it's people, you know, it's people talking to other people, and the timelines are much more murky, and it's just trying to find talent, and it's this mad rush of, you know, sifting through social media and queries, and yeah. like meeting people and going to places, all this, all we're this all, stuff. Yeah, that, we're all trying to be the town sheriffs, and, none and we're of all it, trying to be the nice like housekeepers and the you know the and the the you know mercantile owners. Yeah. But then you've got the cowboys that come in and, and the outlaws, and it's just a hot mess. This is a very dramatic senior painting. Well, I've been um, watching Godless <laughs> on Netflix. It's a thing. Um, but I, it's, and like, and apart from that, you know, there's no money on the front yeah, end, right? Like, the true. money all ends up coming from the publisher. And so there's like this weird, like, dance that happens between these various parties that are trying to link up and do these things. And um, it's, I don't know. It, to me, it just kind of rings at this idea that, you know, this whole ecosystem is built on 
I built on a lot of unwritten rules, right? Because very there are very few like written rules at the front end of publishing. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, Eric, like this whole system is a house of cards, right? Yeah. It only yeah. like an agent is only a good agent because of the reputation that they have. Mm-hmm. You know, the way that I describe our job to people, because nobody knows what a literary yeah. agent does. Like, quite honestly, when I started interning at a literary agency, I didn't know what it did. Right. I was like, this seems important, like right. a movie producer, but I don't know what that does either. I still don't know what a movie producer <laughs> does. Um, if you know, please please write in. Um, but I always say, you know, it's like we're a realtor for books. Mm-hmm. But I think that in a lot of ways, that is so incorrect. Realtor is like way more official of a position. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have to take tests. You have to take yeah, licenses. Exactly. Like the same, you know, like if you think about lots of jobs, like you think about plumbers, you think about electricians, you think about lawyers and doctors. And, you know, you have to be certified to be a lifeguard when CP, like you have to do all these things. Like you have to demonstrate a level of knowledge and care by an official institution. And so we don't have one of those. Right. That process. And that's kind of where I think we're trying to get here is that process of obtaining the position of authority that like an agency has in the world. It has it has very it doesn't really have anything to do with paperwork, No. you know, or like obtaining certification. It has to do with like this unofficial like you know, being plugged into this unofficial set of things and signifiers that then allows you to kind of be trusted within the community, right? Like, I mean, you know, if you and I were, you know, thinking about how to be an agent from scratch, yeah. right? Like, how, like, the ways to do it is not necessarily to, you know, get some sort of accreditation. It's to make sure that you are, you know, trusted by your colleagues, right? To kind that of you keep talk you, with editors. That you talk with editors, that you talk with, that you're, you know, you're plugged into some of the um, things online, like Pitch Wars or Manuscript Wishlist. That you go that to you, conferences. You know, writer, you know, magazines like Writer's Digest and stuff, you make sure they're featuring you. Like, it's a laundry list of things that aren't necessarily connected and don't necessarily um, also require you to have any real experience or, like, it's... It's very interpersonal is the point, right? Yeah. Like this whole system is – and writers know this even better as, you know, if you heard any of them talk about like how they feel, you know, they try to court agents and like try to, you know, really learn about who's doing what in the industry. You know, they, there's so much that goes into supporting each other and trying to find the right avenue into the industry itself. Like this whole thing is built on like interpersonal bonding conversation and trust. And whether right? somebody looks at you and thinks that you're worth their time because you know what you're doing. Exactly. Like that that's it. Like honestly, like what you just described, that's the binary. Like and that's what counts. And like eventually, you know, you build up a track record for having that or you build up um a set of um you know, a people who will back you, you know, and provide some sort of um, you know, trust to your name, but like it really is just that. And yeah. what happens in a moment like this is you can see how easily that whole system folds if one of the parties isn't like behaving in a good faith way because the whole thing is built on good faith you yeah. know well i mean if if prestige in your industry and success in your industry like if you're if you're kind of removing the the monetary aspect right yeah. like i mean if you make a ton of money you make a ton of money and that's great but like you're seen as a success in this industry if you make money but also if you are known like if you are a known quantity if you have that like mystical platform yep. right yep. and if if prestige is based around <laughs> platform 
and it's based around optics. Um, then, then by virtue of the fact that like there are people in this world who are con men, like there are people who yeah. can yeah. mess with optics. There are people who can trick other people. That is when that prestige really, when you like break it down to, to parrot you essentially, like when you really, really break down what prestige is and therefore what success is, is that it's all just trust. Like I am trusting that J.K. Rowling writer wrote her own books. You know, I am yeah. trusting that this agent will, you know, not take all of my money and then run away with it to Fiji. Yeah. I am trusting that this editor will, you know, who says that they're acquiring this book, like that they'll actually publish it. And it's true. It, you're right. And it is that is like these sorts of, um, you know, I guess, you know, there are, you know, there is paperwork early, you know, there's an agreement between, you know, an Not author always. and an agent, but like sometimes, Not always. and, but like the point is like so much of our job too is about having those same sort of non really not really quantifiable relationships with editors right yeah. like it's about kind of developing these networks of people who you can trust to kind of do certain things for you and like you know circling back to worldcon for a second you know just that idea again of like you know sort of artificial prestige cropping up like you know you kind of you said it really well at the beginning where like this is a it's a roaming conference that happens in a different city every year, held you, by different people. Yeah, you might and, uh, be familiar with Worldcon and specifically the Hugos with the, um, like the the sad puppy incident for a few years ago, <laughs> where like basically just these horrible, horrible people were trying to game the system and make it so that you know women and minorities didn't win the awards. But the point is, like, yeah. there's this brand name that persists. Yeah. Even as the actors within it change almost entirely in a lot of situations, right? Like the in a thing, lot of ways, yeah. The thing can entirely turn over and become an entirely different entity, but still hold this certain element within mm-hmm. the industry. And what happens is eventually, like, those things come into conflict, right? And suddenly this event that we think is really, really important and has bestowed... And standardized. And not only that, but ha- now because of those things has the ability to kind of make and break careers... Um, or be at least be a launch, but you know, if you do well, you know, in these awards, like it's the sort of thing that could really kind of get you in all the doors you're looking for. And it's, but it's all just perception, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and perception is not like, that isn't to say that perception is nothing, whether we're talking about the prestige of a conference or an award or the reputation of an agent, it's incredibly important, but it has to be backed by, you know, this idea of integrity and truth and, because publishing is the way it is, not only is that more important, it also is uniquely susceptible, I think. <laughs> you know, like, one thing that kind of caught me today was this idea, you know, this person, um, at least in, from what we hear, we've heard so far, um, the idea that someone could, like, sit down and, like, write up a an offer letter from a publisher and then, like, type it up, hand it to an to another professional writer and say, hey, here's this offer. You know, this is what's happening. Like, just totally fabricate a document from another, like, legal company <laughs> and say, like, it's just so audacious. You know, like, you, like I can't even, like, picture doing that. Like, as a, like, forget the whether it's good or bad. Like, just, 
like the idea that someone could do this and like have it persist for as long as it has. And my question to you, Laura, because I think it kind of touches on something really kind of important here, yeah. is how is it that this stuff is able to persist as long as it has? Like why? Like we talk so frequently about why authors are able to be taken advantage of so yeah. frequently in this industry, and it does happen. And my question to you is why? Like why don't these things get shut down in the first instance? You know? Well. So I think in a lot of ways, I think we do have to point to Danielle Smith's case in that she was like, she was essentially fired or about to be fired from two uh, reputable agencies for, you know, various things. I don't think they knew specifically about the forging. Um, But I think like so much of this business is, you know, surrounded by this idea of, you know, like you can't, I mean, like you can't talk about the bad things, but also like, you know, you can't talk about your deal until everybody agrees that it's OK. And so there, there's these whole swaths of experience that writers have to go through where they're not supposed to talk to anybody. Right. And we yeah. and, you know, since since people have been talking about um, Smith, people have been talking online about um Agents at other agencies, actually, like some of the very, very, very top and most some of the prestigious, ones yeah. most prestigious agencies um, in the country, and saying, you know, there are instances of um, of agents, you know, like sending a manuscript that they were sent on submission without even having talked to this author or signing them, and trying to sell the book and yeah. like hoping that it sticks, or like sending to you know, a hundred editors at once and kind of a spam note or like all sorts of like other shady, weird things, you know. And like this is at a prestigious industry. Like this is like these are people who are in many ways considered to be the top of this field. And I think a big part of it is, you know, people are so hungry for money down towards the bottom of this business. You know, money and just a foot in the door and a foothold. Yeah, money and and a foothold. And I'm talking in terms of authors, but I'm also talking in terms of you know agents. Oh, you like, mean, okay, yes. Like sorry. I, I mean, you know, if you if you kind of look at that totem pole, yeah. like there's there's authors and then there's kind of us and then yeah. there's you know sure. the houses up above, right? Um, and everybody's really hungry. And I think in a lot of ways, like even these big institutions, these these big agencies are very willing to not ask too many questions when money comes in. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's in a lot of ways I think that this 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 like reputation uh as license, this reputation as licensing is um sublimated by money mm-hmm. as license. You know, mm-hmm. if you make money, if you yeah. make money, then you can get away with murder. Yeah, and I guess like you know, that, you know, as it kind of moves down, you know, the food chain within the apparatus of publishing itself, I also wonder if some of that silence, you know, ends up persisting because of, you know, no one wants to, you know, it's so hard to get into this industry at all that, like, no one wants to be, no one wants to blow their chance by being the pain in someone's butt, you know? Yeah. No one wants to stir up the waters, no one wants to do these things. Because, and rightfully so, because we've seen time and time again that eventually what ends up happening is the power, the person with the power in the equation holds on to their position no matter how poorly they've behaved. 
and the author gets treated as though they're disposable. There's and many instances of Danielle Smith uh, gaslighting authors who question her methods. Well, that was that was the thing that came up today, right? Is there were so many authors that yeah, sort of came up and were like, you know, I'm done. I've been done writing books for a while now because this person, you know, made me feel terrible about my career by lying to me. Shook you my know? faith. Yeah. They basically, you know, they, they but you're they're able to do that. You know, because they're the ones holding the cards. And or they're the one in optics-wise, yeah, they're the ones holding the cards. Exactly. And it's just, like, because things are built on this web of trust um, down toward, you know, this. Fr- I keep calling it the front end because I guess the way I view it is, like, this, like, entry point, right? Like, the book mm-hmm. gets written by the author and then, you know, they team up with us and kind of bring it into the industry machinery, right? Like, so yeah. it's... <clears throat> Like, one thing that really kind of stuck out to me today was as this came out and we started to learn, well, hey, there's like a whole, there's going to be a whole list of authors who are now, you know, without representation in the lurch and potentially even have had their, you know, chances squandered at a few different houses based on, you know, submit, based on poor submission practices and maybe even outright, like, they don't have any idea where they are because they've been lied to. They don't know Mm -hmm. what the deal is with their books. They don't have... Um, you know, they're sort of left in a pretty dire spot with regard to whatever they've been working on, right? But one thing you saw today was all of the other people who kind of recognize what we're talking about now, that this whole thing is built on goodwill toward each other. Mm-hmm. And people were jumping up, right? Like you saw other agents, you know, like, you know, Eric Smith, you know, I saw was one. He's been on the show before. Like, you know, other, you know, lots of other agents sort of came up and said, um, Hey, you know, if you guys need help, if you need advice, you know, we can. If you um, want us to look at your queries, right? Like, you know, people sort of jumped up, and not only that, but then you saw people in seemingly, seemingly separate institutions. I like, the, you know, the people who run, you know, DV Pit, one of those online contests. Suddenly, were, you know, they were doing this kind of public introspection. They were like, you know, we hope that this bad actor wasn't using our platform as a means of getting you know, in touch with authors that they could hurt. And it's like what you ended up seeing was not only how all this stuff ends up connecting and how one bad, you know, part of the machine can kind of have rippled effects outward, but also that people realize that without that kind of, you know, underlying good faith and, you know, in a lot of ways, this stuff needs to be built on more than good faith. Like we're talking about, you know, it it can sound kind of kumbaya to say, um, well, hey, you know, the whole publishing industry is built on, you know, making sure we all trust each other. And it's like, well, maybe it should be like built on some like legal stuff, too, you know? Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> which like, is why I, I fully yeah. uh, advocate for agents and authors signing yeah, working yeah. agreements yeah, yeah, together. Yeah. Um, but it's just like people sort of sensed that, you know, we've got to kind of pull for each other because it's really easy to kind of destroy it in you know, ways that stretches far beyond, you know, ourselves, right? I think the main takeaway here is this. This is an industry that we have been talking about for however long this podcast has been going on. Mm -hmm. And before that, and on social media, and authors talk about this, agents talk about this, editors talk about this. Um, This industry will only survive if we all support one another. If we, like, if the industry itself supports the industry. Yeah. You know, if we make sure that all of the cogs in the machine are working appropriately. And I think a big part of that, the other side of the coin there, is that if we're going to 
persist with this particular model, which has its flaws, Mm -hmm. we know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But if we're going to persist with this model that necessitates that faith and that self-support, we're going to need to figure out ways how to Mm self-police. Because, you know, I like truly, like you can blacklist somebody in this industry you as a human being can gaslight somebody else that's sort of the looming threat behind all this right like that's yeah. why authors don't talk enough that's yeah. why um they don't bring things to their you know into people that are you know in the industry that they might be feeling yeah. uncomfortable about however something. however that those are very real threats but also something that we've seen as very real is that when somebody in a perceived position of power is you know stripped down and showed to be a con artist Mm -hmm. then you know the industry will take them down they'll force them out they'll close ranks you know danielle smith disappeared she's gone gone. you know i know of you know other agents where there are rumblings about other bad actions and then they just up and quit and then they're gone yeah you know like this industry if we support this industry and we support the people in it working together Mm -hmm. then there are ways for this industry to correct things like it's solidarity you know what i mean like worldcon is completely redoing their program which is good yeah like because everybody stood up and said this isn't okay because you can't shame people in private into not making this a big deal so which they did try to do (laughs) so i want to get into um the X's and O's of this for a second, you know, because we've kind of talked about this from a, you know, large scale thing. Yeah. But let me just like as an agent, I've yeah. been kind of thinking about this all day. There's like one part of this that I just I've been trying to like piece together like the why, mm-hmm. you know, and it's this like what like maybe there are probably people listening to this who are thinking, why would someone make up? Like why would someone create a, a fraudulent publishing you know offer from a house, show it to an author they were representing, and then say, no, no, don't take this? Because you can't, like, if you've done that, you can't tell them to take it, probably, right? Because there's nothing backing it. Like, right. it's fake. It's not like you can eventually conjure up the advance money you So why would pr- they do you it? You know what I mean? Like, why, why do this? Like, what, like, if you were, I guess I was just, like, sitting around today, like, trying to figure out... Like, what is the point of this? Like, where is... I have theories. Yeah, no, I mean, I would love to hear them. I totally have theories. Okay, so theory number one is that this agent took too many many things on and didn't necessarily have the bandwidth to do things, but wanted to keep signing people to to, um, demonstrate the growth and success of her her agency. Okay. And... Um, lied about submitting things places so that she could continue in a lot of ways ignoring her authors while still showing them progress and showing herself useful. Mm -hmm. Um, So to keep these people around that maybe she did, you know, dumbly in a way that she regrets. So that's that's theory number one, right? Is like if you can show an offer and you can say that it's not right, but like if you can show an offer. It means you've been working. It means you've been working. Right? So that's option number one. That's option, me. Yeah. So real quick, that's the only one I've been able to come up with. Oh, I have like, another one. Yeah. No, see, I'm very interested in option number okay. two because option, option one was all I had. Option number two um, has to do with the fact, and I think this one is most likely, more likely, mm-hmm. um, 
which is instead of and I, I think you have to consider that we're seeing this or maybe she's done both. I think maybe she's done both. But we're seeing this from the author's side. Right. Authors saying that these are fake yeah. or editors saying that these are fake. Yeah. Um, what we haven't seen is what else Smith has done. Um, so one thing that some writers do is they will query you. Uh-huh. And then a day or two later, they'll query you back and say, I have an offer of representation. And sometimes oh, the, they oh, really do. The thing. They're, they're doing, doing the thing. Because that, that does happen a lot. Explain what that okay, is for a second. Because so that happens thing, to me a lot. I hadn't thought about it in that way. So the thing yeah. is when somebody, um, and, and we usually see this from author perspectives. Yeah. yeah. But they write in with a false offer of representation to get you to read faster to get you to read faster and to get you to want it like it's that idea of scarcity right and yeah. it's to bump you to the front yeah um and so i've seen a lot of people do this and so what i'm Don't thinking do this, by the way do not right. absolutely in no way do this but here's here's what i'm thinking might be the thing uh smith might think that it was easier and better that instead of actually submitting to editors mm-hmm. she will she can maybe go to one of them and leverage a made up offer from somewhere else and then like when that doesn't come through like when she doesn't get a real offer based on her fake offer Mm -hmm. she still presents the fake offer to the author oh so you're saying i see yeah so you're saying that this that the author might not be the first person to see this. Or she or she presents it to the editor and the author at the same time saying, hey, we have this other offer. Yeah. Uh, do you want to make one? And so yeah. then hopefully like the author is kind of buoyed up because right. they think that they have lots of interest. And, right. you know, if the other editor, the real editor decides to pass and, you know, then the agent is not super, super happy with this invented offer. Yeah then, you know, they can keep continuing on in whatever manner that they were doing, but the author will will have faith in her agent and in herself. Yeah. No, I, I think mean, it's probably a combo thereof. Yeah, it is. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's it's weird how it all fits together with like what also seems to just be this pattern. I mean, this is, you know, we're talking about this one person, but, you know, like we said, this is, you know, as has kind of come up today, you know, this is, you know, there's behavior like this kind of all over the mm-hmm. place. You know, there's other people doing this. And, and to be clear, there's nothing that the writers could have done to prevent this. No. Like they, this author or this this agent had, um, you know, successful authors. She had real sales. She had associations with real agencies. Yeah. She's been yeah. in this business. Like she's not taking money from her authors. Like all of yeah. these things, like do not send off red flags. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like... And it's just like, so I want to get to that idea that you just said, like, well, they they were affiliated with real places and they had real, yeah. so it gets again at this idea of prestige. Yeah. What is right? a real place? And so I want to, I want to turn back to Worldcon then, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, because on the one hand, you know, I kind of went into this conversation thinking, well, you know what the problem is? The problem is we assign all this meaning to things for no reason. And then that meaning ends up being leveraged as a means of like hurting, you know, writers who you know, didn't need to be, you know, heard because they kind of trusted in an institution they found to be valuable. But my, I wonder, like, this idea of prestige, especially as it relates to, like, an award, on the one hand, it offers, um, it can offer cover to mm-hmm. kind of behave, um, you know, 
poorly in a way that won't necessarily hurt you because people will continue to show up because there's ascribed meaning to the place you're representing. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, prestige, it's almost in a way all we have and it's something we need in this industry. Yeah, it's very important. You need it because, um, like, you know, a tool like the Hugos or something within the industry is something that can, um, you know, it's a signifier, right? It's a way... You know, we talk about how tricky it is to, like, launch people's careers. Like, here we've got a way. Win one of these, you know? Yeah. And it's also a thumb on the pulse of the readers. Exactly. Like, so we do need this idea of prestige. We do need these little bits of, we do need these little levers of power that we sort of just create, you know? But I guess maybe my question is, like, how, how do we create them and how do we maintain them in a way in which they then can't be leveraged in a way that, ends up just kind of hurting people and making people need to kind of start from scratch and, you know, discouraging, you know, talented people from showing up again. You know, I mean, I think the answer is that people are always going to yeah. try to gain the system, yeah. right? There are always going to be people who try to take advantage because there are a lot more authors who are a lot more clueless about this business yeah. than people who are, you know, well read, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think what we can do is is other like legitimate people in this business and what authors can do particularly authors that have more social cachet or have a bigger um have a bigger part in the whisper networks and have you know have bigger platforms um what they can do is they can encourage the larger community to expel those rotten pieces because the truth is is whenever those you know those people exist it tears down the rest of this business yeah yeah i mean it's just a matter of i mean again like it's sort of every it has to function as a cohesive unit you know like mm-hmm. everybody has to be a part of the program or like i mean today like again though the thing i keep thinking about is how this person just up and disappeared once they were found out oh yeah and yet all the ramification is going to be felt by the people she everybody, left behind. Everybody around. Like, uh, in like all different parts. You've got the online contests who are self-examining. You've got prior coworkers examining themselves. Like, mm-hmm. did I do something to help enable it? Like, you know, which is a an honorable question to ask. But certainly, you know, like, everybody... It's like everyone around this situation feels, like, culpable or, like, um, you know, responsible, maybe is a better word, in some way except for the person at the center of it who is now missing. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, in a way, I really, like, I was heartened by that today. Like, kind of seeing just how much everybody kind of wants to band together, you know, whether it's for, you know, personal reasons or professional reasons. And hopefully, you know, in a lot of ways, those kind of blend, right? Like, it should be, because, um, like, on the one hand, like, honestly, I was kind of watching today, you know, as this as this thing kind of blew up. And... You know, people like started jumping in with like, well, hey, um, you know, if you're if you need help, you know, I can be someone who helps you. And on the one hand, it felt like, man, you know, it's a little bit opportunistic. But on the other hand, I think that it's really good that we have kind of these structures in place that incentivize helping each other. You know what I mean? Like it should be professionally useful to extend a handout and try to help these authors. You know, like it should be like those things should line up in the way that they seem to be. And that's really... Um, I think that that is a note 
in the industry's favor, especially on the much less structured end that we're talking yeah. about, you know? It it helps with that that faith and prestige yeah. part of it because yeah. like what what we don't want, which we found out has happened, is people leaving this business because of bad actors. And especially writers. Like it's yeah. always dramatic when like an editor leaves or like an agent leaves or yeah. like a but like writers quit being writers every day, you know, because of some shitty thing that we've never that we'll never hear about. Yeah. You know, and there's no fanfare and there's no big public post about it and there's no anything because they don't have any clout. And that's I think what's shitty. And that's what I want to, you know, kind of push against because it's it just creates this situation where things just end up defaulting to power dynamics and that won't get us anywhere. So just in case you have um, something that you don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing with the uh, the larger publishing world, um, feel free to, you know, send it to us we can you know we're we're in a lot of ways part of you know the the people who won't necessarily be harmed yeah. by by things like this coming to light um and so we're here to help well that we're is here for you that is true especially like um online you know we obviously <laughs> monitor our twitter account pretty closely um, <laughs> i am usually on it so like if you know if anyone ever is in a situation where it feels like um, you know, something specifically related to an industry situation just feels fishy or wonky or something. You know, you can send here. us send us a note or something and we can try to be, you know, we can try to add a little perspective or something and just, you know, help you out with it. But yeah. so let's move on to our right tip for the week. And it has nothing to do with protecting <laughs> yourself against um, like shady agents other than never pay the money. Um so that is one. There you go. That's a freebie. Um, but our right tip for this week has to do with the social sciences, particularly um, I've been talking with one of my authors this week about world building. Um, and they have um, an experience writing contemporary fiction um, where the world building in a lot of ways is done for you. Right. You know, you you're you're in this culture. The people reading it are presumably also in your culture in the same time period. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it is is kind of built in there for you. All the big decisions are made. Mm -hmm. However, you will find a lot in contemporary uh, fiction, especially in the early stages of querying and getting an agent and revising um, that you need more world building. And so how can these two things coexist? How can you need more world building? But also, like, be writing about a time when everybody knows how it works. Um, and the the answer to that really lies in the social sciences, particularly, you know, like, I, you know, I'm a little biased because I have a degree in this, but like anthropology and um, sociology. Like, there are parts of your culture and your world that are interconnected in ways that you probably don't think about on a day-to-day -day basis, but are very, very necessary for how you write. It's something that fantasy and science fiction authors are incredibly aware of um, in terms of, you know, okay, so we have a monarchy. So why do we have the monarchy? How do the trades work? Why is this tiny town have three different blacksmiths? You know, and these are all important questions about economics, about religion, about trade, about government. Um, and these are questions that you should ask yourself about no matter what you write, 
Um, and you should make sure that you are laying the appropriate groundwork because even if you're writing something like that is set in this office where we are recording print run right now, you will still need to build the world so that I know where we are. Well, it's like I think maybe what you're saying is that there's always a chance for more depth in yes. whatever the like level of detail or contextual truths of wherever you are yeah. is, you know. So whether you're making it up from scratch or you're just trying to appropriately capture the world that you're already in, yeah. um, it requires analysis. You know, it requires thinking about the world in ways that you normally don't. And so my suggestion to you is to, you know, learn some 101, you know, learn about different systems and the way they're interconnected, you know, like, you know, listen to some podcasts, read some books, read some Wikipedia articles. Just do your research and rely on it. You do know? your research and, and not even just, you know, what was Constantinople like in this year, but I'm talking about like theoretical research. Like, understand why we are the way that we are. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, thank you very much for listening to this, our 75th episode of Print Run. Man, Man we just talk a lot at each other. Yeah, we do. Um, remember to tune in to our Patreon if you would like our craft episodes coming this week. And we will see you for another episode on Tuesday. Bye.